You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast that analyzes, discusses, and above all else, celebrates the work of Stephen King with a special focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Keth episodes. We also discuss King's novels related to The Dark Tower, non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about potential Dark Tower-related adaptations. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com, and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and with me today is my co-host, Mr. Tiny. Hello. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? It's going good, man. Nice, nice. Um, we just recorded a special thing for Patreon. Uh, we did. Where I berated you about the Twilight Zone. Word, um, word. Yeah. Uh, how can people find that if they want to listen to it? Um, they can go on uh, all the social medias. They can go on the Facebooks, on the Twitters. Do we have an Instagram for T-Junks? Uh, we do, but I don't really post that much to it. Gotcha. Uh, T-Junks, by the way. <laughs> I, like I know. Um, <laughs> I should call it Tower Jays because I don't want to associate the word junk yeah. with our podcast. Yeah, well... I'm sure that there are people out there that would associate <laughs> with, with our podcast. Well, that's their problem, not exactly. ours. Exactly. Um, but no, they can go to patreon.com slash obsessive. Patreon, yes. Yes. Sorry, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. And then and then they could pay us money and get access to a special RSS feed. Give us the monies. Exactly. Yeah. Special uh, recordings specifically for Patreon supporters. So Yep. They can do that. Uh, yeah, so today on the podcast, Tiny, what are we talking about? We are talking about Pet Cemetery, the 1989 film. Yes. Then the 1989 film, I don't have the information on hand right here, directed... Mary Lambert. Mary Lambert. Uh, and adapted from the novel uh, by Stephen King himself, which was a right. surprise. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I didn't know that until I saw the saw it in the opening credits. Yeah. And when it comes to Stephen King adaptations, at least Stephen King adaptations of old, um, I kind of like the ones that he actually writes. Yeah. Um, the one that kind of jumps to mind is I actually appreciated the uh, Shining TV miniser- miniseries. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so... I feel like Pet Cemetery the movie is one of the I don't want to say upper echelon um Stephen King adaptations but it's the one that I feel like has the most staying power. Yeah. Um I kind of gauge that by well, I don't know if I necessarily say gauge it by this but uh <laughs> no pun intended. Um gauge it. Yeah. Um the like when okay, with this new adaptation that's coming out this weekend, so crazy. Yeah. Um with the new adaptation, people and this is a pet peeve that's a snooty book reader kind of thing that I do. It's it's just it, – I'm totally aware that I'm a douchebag for this. But they say like, oh, they're remaking this movie. And it's like they're – like with It, they said like, oh, why are they remaking It? The Like Tim Curry was great and everything. Yeah. Like they're not remaking it. They're readapting it. They're readapting the source material. Right. So anyway, uh, that's me gatekeeping um, Stephen King's work. <laughs> but um, – but no, like any time they say that, it kind of makes me think that okay, well maybe this the original adaptation that they're uh, that was previously made before this one has the staying power that it's you know it's focused on that like 
if they if they remade The Shining, people will say like, oh, they're remaking The Shining because mm-hmm. The Shining is iconic in horror. Right. Um. Yeah. So, have, what's your relationship with the Pet Cemetery uh, 1989 movie? I watched it. I watched. I think part of it mm-hmm. when I was younger, like preteen, even like twelve, thirteen years old. Oh. Um. And it like I don't think I watched the whole thing. Um. But I remember the whole um like the spinal meningitis scenes where she's like dealing with her sister, like really freaked me out. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I, that's what I remembered from, from seeing the movie. Cause it like, it, it got to me. Um, but I, I just hadn't ever revisited it. I kind of filed it under eighties campy cheesiness kind of movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of just never really thought about it much. Um, and I hadn't, I hadn't read the book until, you know, last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, uh, it just, I feel like Pet Cemetery, the, the movie and the book are pretty well cultured. Like, I feel like most people know what it's about. They know that it's a Stephen King book or based on a Stephen King book. And I, I kind of know they, like, like they, they understand the basic premise of like what it is and what happens. And so like, I wasn't. I, I just considered it like a tentpole of general horror culture, and so I didn't. I didn't ever feel the need to like dive into it that much. Um, and the 1989 movie was kind of uh, part of that, so I I just didn't have much of a relationship with it for whatever reason. Interesting. I, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I uh, remember seeing bits and pieces when I was a kid, and nothing really stood out to me. Honestly, um, I don't really remember much about it. Um, so yeah. And then when I read the book, it kind of blew my mind as we said last week. Right. Um, yeah, I don't really have a relationship with the original. Um, and I just realized we didn't do our Stephen King check-ins. No, we didn't. Uh, don't really have any news or anything, but do you have any Stephen King (sighs) check-ins? Man, I don't. Hmm. Wish I did, but I don't. Yeah. Uh, you're currently reading Seven Eves. Yeah, I'm still about halfway through that. I haven't had time to really read much more of it. Okay. And then what, are you also doing any audiobooks or... No, not right now because I, I, I canceled my Audible That's right. subscription. I, I But I it sucks because I've been driving so much for work and I really... I've been hankering to like start a book. You can, you know, you know, you can still listen to the ones you have, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. But like, there's new stuff I want to get and oh, yeah. I want to listen to. But I just, hmm. yeah, yeah. What Stephen King books do you have on there? I have like Firestarter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have the hard copy of Needful Things. Oh, uh, I feel like you may have it in audio book. I might. I can't remember what I have. Um. Uh, yeah, because I kind of want us to do the talisman, needful things, and Firestarter. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Damn. Um, none of those are really next on my list that uh, yeah. I have for us, but I kind of want I uh, kind of peek behind the curtain. What I want next for us to do is well, we're gonna do Tommy Knockers, which we've already read. Um, Misery. Okay. So, but that won't go up until May. Yeah. Um, misery, Salem's Lot, the body. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. Do you do you know if you have any of those on Kindle? Because I know that you can get uh, audiobooks cheap if you have the Kindle version. Hmm. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. But uh, 
Yeah, I'll have to look into it. Yeah. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I also want to talk about The Shining later this year. Anyway, um, so my Stephen King check-in is I started listening to Dreamcatcher. Um, this was kind of on a whim, kind of just for fun, because we're not planning on reviewing it anytime soon. But kind of after listening to Tommyknockers, I kind of wanted... I feel like I feel like Dreamcatcher was a good um, kind of companion to that because they're both kind of about aliens and stuff. Um, I'm about I think about halfway through it and it's a little bit better than I expected, but I'm kind of it's I'm kind of struggling with it a little bit. Um, it's one of those stories that it kind of feels like uh, the setup, like it seemed it feels like Stephen King set up a situation and then about. I don't know, a quarter of the way into the book, he realized that that situation isn't necessarily what he wanted to do. (laughs) So he switched over to something else. That's just the impression I get from the writing of the book. But, uh, but it's, it's still pretty good. It's still, it's still pretty good. Gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, let's go into our non-spoiler and then we'll do a spoiler review for Pet Cemetery from 1989. Um, yeah, so plot description courtesy of IMDb is after tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with the ancient power to raise the dead. Uh, this movie stars Dale Midiff, Midkiff as Lewis Creed, Denise Crosby as Rachel Creed, and Fred Gwynn as Judd Crandall. Also, uh, features, uh, Miko or Miko Hughes as Gage Creed. Uh, directed by Mary Lambert and written, adapted from his novel uh, by Stephen King. Um, Tiny, what did you think of Pet Cemetery? Uh, pretty positive, actually. I nice. I was expecting to not really connect with it that much. Like like I said before, I thought it was going to fall into the '80s kind of campy cheesiness uh, category, but I think this actually this movie holds up pretty well. I agree. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I don't think it's it's not. I think some of the the campiness is there, but I don't think it really drags the movie down. I don't think it's I don't think it's the bad camp or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think it's the the story runs really well. Um, when you get to like the, kind of the climax and the denouement, mm-hmm. it's actually paced really well. Like we get to sit with that those moments of the story like more than I thought that we would. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be a little more rushed than it was, but I was pleasantly surprised with that. Um, and then there's just so many so many things to like. I think they did a really good job with the um, the setting, the setting or like uh, the, the actual homes that they mm-hmm. chose. Whichever, I don't know if they built those for the movie or what. I th- I'm sure they were already there. Um, those looked good, and like the um, the I, I love the the kind of uh, constant foreshadowing that's present in the book of the um, Orinko truck trucks mm-hmm. driving by. They they incorporated that into the movie really well. Yeah. Like I, I was like, man, it's just like, it's just, yeah, it's like it's a literal <laughs> foreshadowing coming by all the time. And like I knew it was coming, obviously, but um, it was like it was almost like scary in its own right. Mm-hmm. That like you see those trucks rolling by. Like I'm not I'm not a father, but I can just imagine having a child by that kind of by a road like that. It would just mm-hmm. literally drive you nuts every time you saw one of those trucks just flying down the road. Um, and I, they just captured that really well in the movie. Um, yeah. and, uh, I think, um, Dale Midkiff is not a very good actor. <laughs> um, I didn't appreciate it. He just was very, very vanilla and just, mm-hmm. I, I really didn't care for him, but, um, 
it was saved by Fred Gwynn. I mean, the Fred Gwynn was, he's an iconic actor anyways for Herman Munster. Right. Um, but I think he, he's almost equally iconic for playing Judd Grandel. I think so too. Really well in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, he just got that, that, wise face and the the perfect voice and he's just a he's a very um imposing but not threatening kind of person um he just has that presence to him and i think he was just perfect for this role and i really appreciated him so um yeah i was pleasantly surprised with how much i liked the movie that's awesome and i'm kind of gonna echo a lot of those sentiments myself nice uh yeah i think the set uh, the setting of it was very great. Um, there is something to be said about the sound design, I think, in the movie. Okay. Like, specifically when they're at the Pet cemetery and you hear, like, the, the uh, I don't know, the cicadas buzzing mm-hmm. and, like, just the sound of the... It it has just such a such a wildlife sound to it that it just seems... Like, it, you really... It transports you into the Pet cemetery. Yeah. Um, that, and then, like you said, I, I loved Fred Gwynn as, uh, as Judd Crandall. I feel like maybe this is a bias on my part, but I kind of feel like, uh, hearing Michael C. Hall read Judd the way he's written, obviously, mm-hmm. kind of made me a little less impressed with, with Fred Gwynn. Okay. But I still think, like you said, he does have that, um old wise persona to him kind of a a mentor father figure kind of look to him that i think uh really worked well here Mm -hmm. um and dale midkiff um i agree yes he is very vanilla and very bland and and just kind of a i don't know he's he was kind of wooden yeah um yeah very stiff which in the first half of the movie kind of was cumbersome to me but in the second half, when his character is like just grieving and and you know upset, like my neighbor's kid, um, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of like it seems like the kind of wooden acting kind of he kind of leaned into it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it kind of like that made a little it stabilized the performance a little bit for me. Okay. But the constant fear of the Orinco trucks was. Really well handled, I agree. Yeah. In the big scene that we'll go into in spoilers, um, was incredibly, uh, visceral and like almost, almost, um, gratuitous in the way that it was shown. Cause it's mm. like, it's, it's graphic without showing anything. Right. But it's still like, it's, it, it gets the point across quite clearly. Yeah. Um, I do really appreciate the way that Stephen King was able to, pare down his story and like adapt it. Like I feel like as an adapt and as an adaptation, it's really strong, strongly written in the way that it, like you said, that last, that last act of the movie kind of really just moves and is very, uh, it like it, it moves, but you sit with it and you live with it. And, everything yeah, and it's yeah. very impactful that way. Um, I just feel like the way that the movie overall is paced was really, uh, good considering, that it was the author that uh, adapted it. Like, right. I would be uh, like, I feel like there's there's less concessions to be made if the author is is adapting the book. But it seems like he made the right uh, choices and made a 
helped make a well-paced adaptation of one of his best novels. Mm-hmm. The uh, the burial ground set was also really well yes. done. Um, and the cemetery, the concentric circles of the actual mm-hmm. pet cemetery yeah. was all, uh, I yeah, I thought that was just good set design mm-hmm. generally. So I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, big changes. There really wasn't that many big changes. Yeah, and, Judd not having a wife. Right, Norma wasn't yeah. in the, which I didn't need to be. I don't think didn't need to be. And kind of the stand-in for Norma was their uh, their nanny. Yeah, and I didn't think that needed to be in the movie. Honestly, either. I didn't either. Yeah. Like I understand the reason why it was. It was so that you know they had that you know death as a part of life kind of conversation with Ellie. Right. But it just seemed like like I get the, I get the rationale that they would do that instead of having Norma as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, because then that just to have a character that's not connected to the family in a meaningful way is a way to kind of circumvent having a lot of screen time devoted to them. Right. Um, especially if they were to die. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I could kind of take or leave it. Um, I guess I understood what, what he was going for with it, Yeah. but, uh, I don't think it was necessary. Yeah. Uh, the cameo though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was, that was, uh, that was a trip. That was fun. That was funny. Like, I, I knew it was coming, but right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was, that was fun. Yeah. Um, anything else to say in non spoilers? I don't this think so. Brief, but... Yeah. Brief, but to the point. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go into spoilers for pet cemetery. 1989. Um, obviously, we're going to be spoiling the book as well, uh, but, I mean, the movie pretty closely follows the book anyway, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's go into spoilers for Pet Cemetery 1989. Um, Victor Pascal, I think, was, first of all, well, the actor I thought was a little hammy. Yeah. But I love the makeup effects. Mm-hmm. Um, very gruesome. Yeah. And uh, unapologetic. Definitely. Yeah. And it came up that uh, makeup effects came up later. Yeah. And the, the last scene of the movie. Right. Um, the wife with, uh, yeah, her eyeball being gone, basically. Mm-hmm. That was pretty. That was cool. That was, yeah. Well, I liked that. Yeah. Um, and what did you think about the way that the kind of spirits were used? Like, Victor Pascal is kind of guiding uh, Rachel back to Ludlow in order to stop stop him right i thought that was a little um i didn't mind it i don't think it was bad or anything but i i feel like that that wasn't really present in the book was it no and i think yeah i think the idea was to have um at least victor pascal be like a conduit to the uh to the character's inner inner thoughts so like yeah he's talking to um Lewis at the end when Lewis is taking Rachel to the pet cemetery. Yeah. He's basically just saying the things that were in uh Lewis's head and <laughs> like they're having like their inner uh conflict there. That's true. Yeah. It was it was the character was a useful tool in that regard. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah, cuz it it obviously inner monologue doesn't or inner thoughts don't really translate well to the film medium, but Yeah. But yeah, the actor I I feel like he just didn't really uh do that well for me yeah i agreed yeah so but the um i think the 
the scene where Gage is killed, mm-hmm. um, it's again knew it was coming and all yeah. that stuff. But I I thought that was super well done. I mean, because I I like like I was wincing when it happened, and like they didn't. One of the things, um, uh, one of the compliments I have of the film is that it doesn't mm-hmm. shy away from the hard, disturbing parts of the film. It, Absolutely. It, it it focuses on them, actually. It kind of amplifies those those difficult parts, and it's like no one wants to see a two-year-old struck by a truck. Exactly. Um, but it's... And, and you don't see a two-year-old get struck by a truck, but there's still... You still feel it. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, like, there are quick cuts between Gage's face in the street and the the front of the, at, like, yeah. the eye level of the truck. It's great editing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just very, like I said, it's visceral and just, just almost gratuitous, even though they don't show anything except for a shoe flying. Right. Um, right. Which <laughs> makes me kind of laugh because um, there's a whole bit online, like a meme where people are like, uh, like if they see like a video of someone or a gif of someone falling down or something or getting like injured they're they'll be like, uh, well, is it, wow. Is he okay? Is he dead? And then they're like, Oh, he has his shoes on. He's not dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, that, uh, Oh, I wanted to talk about, uh, Dale Midkiff real quick. Okay. Um, he, um, I kind of feel like it, it was a bizarre kind of thing because, like, I like I said, his acting isn't the strongest, and I think Jason Clark is a is a good actor. Yeah. Um, but like, I was watching, I was like, is is he the reason why they cast Jason Clark? Because they look <laughs> so similar. to They me. do look similar, and they have such a similar kind of way about them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just I did you kept like did that resonate with you? I guess no, I didn't really think okay. about that i feel like uh dale midkiff is like um a lost brother of uh what's his, is his name tim daly from wings oh yeah tim daly tim daly yeah they look like they're brothers straight up uh i could i could kind of see that i see that resemblance more between him and those two than i do with hmm. jason clark but hmm. yeah interesting um the kid who played gage um mm-hmm. first of all cutest kid yeah he's adorable yeah and like he went on to play was he? Was it Kindergarten Cop? Maybe. Yes. Yeah, and like, cause he like he has such a recognizable face, mm-hmm. and I couldn't place where I knew him from. And I looked him up, and I was like, oh yeah, that's the kid from from uh from Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. And also Mercury Rising. Yeah, he was in Spawn briefly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that was kind of that was kind of cool. Like he and he's apparently you know gotten work and everything. So right. that's good. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, the cat. Let's let's talk about church. Yes. Um, I like one of the reasons why I'm excited for this new one is that they clearly like worked with the cats and like it looks like they're getting like really good cat acting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this kind of felt like they did their best. Um, like the the effect, like the eye, the glowing eyes and stuff. Yeah. A little a little too cheesy and dated for me. Yeah. Um. But it's still a good little kitty. <laughs> it was a very I'm cute so kitty. Sorry. Yeah, I liked the gray. The gray coat was really pretty. Pretty cat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and like the again, not they didn't shy away from. You know, at the end where uh, Lewis kills the cat. Yeah. Uh, the reincarnated church. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like I don't know how they filmed that, but it mm-hmm. 
it didn't look like he was holding some lifeless stuffed thing. I know. I mean, I don't know how they filmed it. I'm I'm very yeah. curious. Um, maybe they tranked a real cat or something like that. I oh, that'd be interesting. I don't I don't know because uh, it looked really real. <laughs> um, like kind of disturbing, frankly. Nice. Yeah, um, I agree. And seeing like earlier in the movie, seeing the dead cat, I was just like, oh, that's yeah, just uh, it's like I I, I couldn't handle it. I agree. Um. Uh, poor kitty. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally forgot to mention that there was Stephen King news, but I'll screw it. Okay. Um, anyway, I, I'll just throw it in here. Uh, there is a really good article uh, by Anthony Bresni- uh, Bresnik, Bre- wow, Bresnikin on uh, EW, where he interviews Stephen King about Pet Cemetery and the movies and the novel and everything. Really good, really, really fantastic interview. Cool. Um, and it's funny because at one point, uh, and this will tie it back into our current. Uh, conversation. At one point, Stephen King s- says that he's like he's talking about the the um, inception of the novel, and he's saying that like you know when they lived uh, when they lived um, in I forget where it was in Maine uh, where he was being uh, a uh, where he was working at a university, but he was like when we lived there when we had the where we discovered the pet cemetery, uh, his daughter uh, her cat died. And they buried the cat in the pet cemetery, <laughs> and like it's it's crazy because like that pet cemetery's still there, like the cat's still there. Yeah. Um. And he said that. Uh, let me actually find it real quick because I, I tweeted about it on Tower Junkies Pod, but it. Uh, I get a huge kick out of it. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh. Stephen King is quoted in the article as saying. Quote, my daughter's cat died and we buried it in the pet cemetery. That was Smucky. Uh, she made a little cross and said, Smucky, he was obedient. And I mean, he was a cat. He wasn't fucking obedient, but he, she loved that cat. <laughs> it's like, that is, that's great. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, um, yeah, but anyway, so the cat acting I thought was okay. Um, and I'm looking forward to the new one. Totes. Um, what did you think, like you said, the aftermath and, and everything kind of coming, uh, coming apart at the end of the movie or mm-hmm. coming to fruition at the end of the movie with Zelda and with Gage coming back and all of that stuff. How did you feel like that was depicted? Yeah, I thought that was, that was well done. And like, it's, again, it's, uh, a credit to, you know, I think Stephen King writing it and all the, everyone involved, mm-hmm. but, uh, that you, you sit with that climax and that denouement, it's, it's appropriately paced and, and, and long. Like I think the, from the point where we see Lewis going, you know, from basically from when Rachel and Ellie get on the plane until the end of the movie, it's like 30 minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he goes and digs up at the body of his son and you know, you know what happens from there. All the, he comes back to life and he goes and Judd gets killed and then she shows up and mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, it's, I don't want to use the word, the phrase drawn out because it's not drawn out. It's does it. That's like a negative connotation. It's a, uh, it's appropriately paced. Like mm-hmm. it's, I, I appreciated how, how much attention was paid to that, that part of the story because it's, you could have just glossed over it or it could have been, you know, parts of it could have been cut for edit for time or whatever, you know, Yeah. but it was just, it was well done. And I think, you know, all the like hallucinations that Lewis is going through and all that, it's just, you know that was that was just cool. I thought it was well done, and it was it was disturbing to watch a father have to 
stick a needle in his son's neck to kill yeah. him. And uh, the, the kid was just crying. And it was like, you, I really felt it. I was like, man, that's just harsh as shit. That was probably the bit, like the best moment of the movie. For yeah. Me. Like just it, like you could feel just the, the anguish of that just as like the father character and yeah. you know, as a repossessed demon child. Yeah. Dale Midkiff did a pretty decent job actually yeah. in that moment. Oh yeah. Um, but in just like the whole, you know, it's creepy. The, the kid like laughing in the distance was yes. creepy as shit when Judd is trying to find him and stuff like that. Um, and then I was, I was, a, again, I'm not sure how this was filmed or whatever, how they did it, but like the kid actor, like, Mm-hmm. Coming in to bite the jugular of yeah. Judd Crandall, I was like, "Did that? What did they tell that kid to get him to film that scene?" I was like, wondering that too. Like, are you playing a game? Like, what did yeah. you tell the kid? Like, oh, we want you to go bite his neck, right? It, like, I, had, I don't know how you do that and that kid not have permanent damage from it. Yeah. Um, also, but the Achilles it was fucked up. Thing. The Achilles tendon. That yeah. I kind of feel like that was uh, something that stuck with me throughout like my childhood and everything. Oh, okay. For like years, I I can't handle that. Like in movies, like, really. Like I heard that like one of the hostile movies like it's has the first hostile, yeah, yeah. And like I've never seen seen it just right. because of that. Um, <laughs> and also, I don't really like torture porn, but right. Um, but yeah, and like seeing that in the movie, like it was well done. But I was just like, I don't. Uh. It's one of those things that makes you quiver. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. All right. So I like. I just appreciated that. Um the ending and the denouement and the climax and all that just mm-hmm. tied together really well. And, you know, when we talked about the book last time, um, I talked about how it's like one of my favorite endings ever. Mm-hmm. And like, I just, I have a really concise visual of how I would like film it in a movie or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. I think this movie got really close to what I had pictured and it's, it's a good ending. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I like that. It's, it's a good, end. I prefer the book ending obviously, Yeah, but I like how it expands upon. I think I like how it expands upon it because we see we see her, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, the makeup effect is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then the ending is just her grabbing a knife. Right. And I kind of was like, okay, uh, I'm I'm okay with that, but I like the ambiguity of the ending of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer I prefer that over this. Yeah. So. Um, the whole spinal meningitis Zelda thing. Um, I, <laughs> uh, when I watched this movie, it was like around midnight and it was like, when was it like Friday or Saturday or I think, but, uh, we got like a little bit of a storm here, like just a tiny bit. Yeah. And like, I didn't know that it was supposed to storm or anything. Couldn't hear if it was raining or not, but like the one time that the lightning struck and, uh, there was a thunderclap and everything, uh, lightning, like it lit up my living room a little bit. And I was like, is that lightning? Like, this all happened in the span of, like, 30 seconds. Okay. The light shone through my shone through my balcony window, which is right next to my, right, like, right next to my couch and, and, like, and my TV. I'm watching it. Like, we get to the scene where Rachel has a vision of Zelda, all, you know, spinal meningitis-y. Mm-hmm. And as Zelda is on screen uh, and super creepy, light flashes... And then I like have enough time to think like, is that, is that lightning? And then just boom, thunderclap. Like, Oh my God. As I'm seeing Zelda on screen, it's just like, this is like, I was just like, my brain processed it all together. And it was just like, that was, that was, that was a pretty cool moment. Nice. And, 
uh, in this apartment. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, that I, that's just worth mentioning that that was that was really effective and cool. Yeah. Um, and I really like the way that Zelda was implemented in the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just it follows it follows the trajectory of the book pretty closely. Definitely. Um, the fight between um, Rachel's dad and and Lewis felt a little undercooked just because. Yeah, um, a little bit. I think that's kind of the byproduct of adapting it to film. Right. Um, yeah, and I'm kind of curious how they're going to handle all of that if they're going to handle any of that in the new movie. Yeah, I'm but curious. But we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on? I don't think so. Like I said, okay. surpri- I was surprised how much I liked it, kind of. Yeah, me too. I had um, not every intention, but I had the thought that I might uh, go ahead and watch Pet Cemetery 2 and do like a brief little <laughs> bonus review. Yeah. Did not get around to it. Don't really have any desire to see it. Yeah. Um. So, sorry, guys, but yeah, I don't I don't know. Um. Yeah. Oh, I made, oh, I remember. I made that stupid Edward Furlong joke. Anyway. You did. I did. Um. Yeah, that's oh yeah, I was gonna tie it together with something else. But anyway, um, I think that's our review of Pet Cemetery the movie. Yep. Um, looking forward to the new one. Um, are you gonna be able to see it this weekend? I'm gonna try my damnedest. Yeah, same here. Well, I mean, I am gonna see it. I have, I actually have a tentative ticket for Thursday okay. night at like I had to. There was a screening at seven and one at like nine forty-five, and I had to get the one at nine forty-five because the one at seven was almost full. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I might end up canceling that and getting like a Friday ticket because 9.45. It's late. Get out at like 11.45. Have to be at work at 7. Late for school night. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But I kind of wanted to end this episode by saying something that I should have said earlier in the episode, a thought that I had that has been consuming my thoughts for for like (laughs) a couple of weeks now. Um, uh, Over on Anthology, my uh, solo side project podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, I'm currently doing a bonus episode review series of The New Twilight Zone uh, by Monkey Paw Productions and Jordan Peele on CBS All Access, so check that out at anthologypod.com. But I've been prepping another bonus episode review series that's been long overdue on on that podcast, but it's a review series of... Amazon Prime's Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but like watching that and reading the short stories, like Philip K. Dick was a was an incredibly prolific science fiction writer and very uh vivid and everything. Like he was like I I have become a Philip K. Dickhead. Um <laughs> and in doing that, I all I kept thinking and watching Electric Dreams and everything, all I kept thinking was how much I just really, really want a Stephen King um, episode by episode uh, anthology show where, like, every episode is a is an adaptation of another Stephen King short story. Mm, that'd be cool. Like, I can't imagine, like, and I, it's asking a lot because, <laughs> um, because it, like, we have a ton of Stephen King stuff. Um that's what I was like. So I want, I want like a an anthology series with standalone episodes based on the works of Stephen King. I would want that. Yeah. Um, and it's asking a lot because we already have a lot of stuff: Castle Rock, the It adaptations, Pet Cemetery, um, new books every year, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, like we are very spoiled. But God, how great would that be? That'd be um, cool. Yeah, it would be. It would be awesome, and it would be the perfect marriage of Tower Junkies and anthology. 
Um, yeah. Obsessive viewers, you know, they can, we can, that show can do whatever it wants. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, God, that would be great. Um, and they kind of did that in the 90s, I think, with Nightmares and Dreamscapes. There was a TNT miniseries. Yeah, I watched some of it. Did you? Was it? It was like late 2000, like 2008 or something like that. It was, was it really? Yeah, I don't think it was 90s. Interesting. I thought it was like, huh. Anyway, well, did you do you remember much of it? Uh, not much. It, I don't think it was that great personally. Yeah. Um, I think I only watched like two out of the, two of the episodes out of like six or eight or however many there were. Jeez. Um. Oh, yeah, you're right. It was 2006. Okay. Yeah, the one I remember the one with William Hurt. Mm-hmm. Um. Sort of, because there's no there's no dialogue in it. It was interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. But probably watch them at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll eventually cover it on the show, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's like I want that. I want that. I want that to happen again. Yeah. But be a long step. Like even still, name it Nightmares and Dreamscapes. That's that's a perfect name for an anthology show based on Stephen King's work. Mm-hmm. So Hollywood get to doing that. Um. Like that, I think that would be perfect. And really, I just I I think I just love the anthology format. So. Oh yeah. Um, so I just want more of that. Cool. Yep. So next time on the podcast, we are going to be talking about Pet Cemetery 2019. Yep. Um, and it, it, we are embarking on one of the busiest months in our young podcasting lives. Yeah. Um, it is, holy crap, this is going to be, this is going to be an endurance test. Yeah. Um, and I'm so excited for it. Uh, yeah, we're doing, we've already talked about it, but we're doing a lot of stuff and check all of our podcast, obsessive viewer, tower junkies, which you're listening to now and anthology, uh, for more information and yeah. Any parting thoughts before we get to getting? Nope. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. 
You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>